The focus on millennials, I mean, I think if we were to go back to baby boomers and, and, and Gen, Gen X, leaders are always asking these same questions of how do I connect with, the, connect with this next generation? The more time I'm spending in this space, John, I think it still, it always comes back to as the leader, you have gotten comfortable in your leadership style and it stinks. But it always comes back to, we have to be able to connect. We just have to. And that's the style that's different. Welcome to Eternal Leadership, a show dedicated to equipping and inspiring leaders to accomplish what God has created in them. I'm Steve Ryder, and that was today's guest, Executive Coach Dean Miles. I got a chance to meet Dean at a local men's event last fall, and once I introduced him to my co-host, John Ramstead, we both agreed we needed to get him in line to appear on Coach's Corner. So, Dean is the founder and president of Bridgepoint Coaching and Strategy Group. Since 1996, he's been coaching and facilitating programs for groups and individuals around the country. On this edition of Eternal Leadership's Coach's Corner, John and Dean answer the following two questions. One, how do I create a culture that would attract and retain younger people and then transfer leadership skills to the next generation? And then two, with all the different roles I have in my life, how do I maintain balance? That's a question that comes up over and over again in our conversations with people. So if you know anybody that would like this show, please share it with them on social media. Without further ado, here's John and Dean. All right, today on Eternal Leadership is another episode of The Coach's Corner, and I'm excited to bring on today just a phenomenal uh, executive coach, uh, Dean Miles. Dean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. Glad to be here. And Dean, you've built a, uh, a wonderful company called Bridgepoint that does executive coaching, leadership development um, all around the country. And I, I'd love for you to just start out before we dive into some of these great questions we've gotten from our listeners, just a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, what, you, uh, what you're doing now, and a little bit about Bridgepoint. Yeah, it's interesting just how life experiences, how the dots end up connecting themselves to prepare you for a time and a place. So graduated college from Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri, thought I was going to go to law school, and then had this moment of, that's not what I want to do. Take on that much debt and work that many hours. I'd already lost my hair, so I couldn't take much more stress at that moment in, uh, that moment <laughs> in my life. So then I uh, thought, man, what would really be an adrenaline rush? And so got active with the DEA, so worked undercover narcotics. So through that experience, I was trained by some of the best to read body language and not only trust my instinct, but to obey it. So year and a half undercover, year and a half, I managed a covert surveillance team. Just the time of my life, I was married, but it was gone six to nine months at a time. So marriage was easy because I was never there. <laughs> uh, All right, Dean, I know this is a Coach's Corner episode, but I can't help. But I'd love for you to share. Do you have like one story from those days about body language or a situation that's just short that you'd like to share? Well, it's, it's always interesting when someone's confronted with truth. So at the end of some of these um, assignments, people would come in, we'd be at court, or they'd be confronted by their employer of, hey, that's not me. You got the wrong guy. I don't use drugs. And then here comes the high-def video with night vision of you in 3D, you know, Dolby surround sound, you making this transaction. And just watching them being confronted with something that's true, it's just a phenomenal moment. To see a human being confronted with that. I mean, and it also just makes me think about us, you know, when we're standing before our Lord and Savior, 
or just having that kind of a moment. But those are just watching the body language when you're confronted with truth. It's really fascinating. And so I see that now as a coach. So if I fast forward, we had our son, couldn't do that anymore. I just didn't want to be that dad that was gone all the time. So what I know drugs, I can't sit in a cubicle. So I got involved with Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. So I went from illegal drugs to legal drugs. Um, <laughs> enhanced that skill, again, reading people's body language, providing a, a good product for chronic diseases. Fast forward through that. So did very well at Merck. Did very well at Pfizer, three years in a row, number one sales rep at a 17,000. Got into training, got into management, and we would bring in different programs, John. I mean, we just, we didn't have budgets. We just had so much money. And it would be a process, and we'd bring our, our sales team in, and you could watch the numbers. The numbers would go up, and that's good news. But then over time, the numbers would trail down. So you got to bring in the next best thing. So the numbers would go up every time you had a training event, a workshop. Yes. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, because everyone's very focused and very excited, but then time goes on, the whirlwind happens, the day job comes back, and even worse times, we would go below our baseline. So we bring in the next thing. So about every 12 to 18 months, we're bringing in the new thing. And then I read this quote by Samuel Johnson, most quoted guy in the 18th century, has over 1,800 quotes attributed to him. And this quote is that we need to be reminded more than we're instructed. And John, when I heard that, that resonated with me in a professional sense. As a father, as a Christian, I need to be reminded. What did that mean to you specifically, Dean? Well, I think about just, you know, do this in remembrance of me, of just why we do communion, why I go to church on Sunday. I need to be reminded. Mm -hmm. I leak. I forget. I have really good intentions, but I forget. I know how to be a good father. I know how to be a good husband. I'm just not doing it. I get busy and I forget. Um, as a business leader, as a business owner, I've read the books and I've gone to the conferences and I've done the workshops and I leave and I'm really excited and then I don't do it. And so when I heard about coaching, that's the vehicle that I, I'm like, if I could get access to leaders and just remind them that the type A narcissistic, um, I don't need help leader, there's no way they would let me come in and instruct them. But they will let me come in and remind them. And then that took me into coaching. And so how long ago did you start Bridgepoint? So 2007. Okay. And you've developed a very significant practice. Why don't you just say a little bit about what Bridgepoint has become today, and then let's just dive into some of these uh, questions. Yeah, so there's 16 of us now on the bench. Uh, we're working all over the U.S. in several industries, from aerospace to oil and gas, to high tech, startups, um, manufacturing, like U.S. Steel, Caterpillar. Uh, we have our first distillery client, so we're in the spirits world with the, the only distillery in Park City and the whole, only distillery in the city of Utah, which is really fascinating. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't know there was a distillery in Utah. Yeah, well, there's one. <laughs> so somehow they uh, they got the, the fathers at the church, the Mormon church, to say yes, which was really fascinating. That was a story in and of itself. Interesting. Well, hey, let's let's dive into these questions. We'll take yeah, about 10, mi 10 minutes for each question. Okay. Uh, so I always solicit our audience, so everybody out there listening, thank you for getting back to me. If there's any, as you're hearing this, and anything just comes front of mind about business, relationships, uh your faith, anything, just please uh, send me an email, john at eternalleadership.com. Uh, so the first question, 
I love this question. Uh, this has been coming up a lot with my own personal one-on-one clients, and it's definitely resonating, is how do I, as a leader, transfer leadership skills to the next generation? He was talking about millennials. And then also, how do I create a culture that millennials in this generation that we're hiring a lot of people from are excited to, to be a part of, uh, to come to work each day, and more importantly, to stay there long term? Because yeah. as you and I both know, kind of the, the the theme with a lot of that younger generation is you're going to a place, you're there two, three years, because uh, you know you're going to go to the next place for two, three years. And that's just, it's it's a different mindset now. So yes. Um, so if that was one of your clients and you're sitting down with one of these people you work with and, um, you know, we don't have a client here to coach, but how would you help walk somebody through what they need to be thinking about, some things that they can do uh, in that area? John, it's a great question. I'm glad one of your listeners sent that in because it's relevant. It's very relevant to the the current CEO now that's 45 and older. So I'll make a distinction to my client. There's a difference between leadership style and leadership principles. Principle is timeless. It's tested. It's just true. So let's don't talk about that for a second. Leadership styles, however, have an expiration date. And I would just remind them, I mean, just intuitively we know this, how managers and leaders led people in the 1870s is not how we led people in 1920. Now, how we led them in 1970, and you, know, and you get my point now to 2015, leadership styles have an expiration point. So the first thing we have to do is, has your style expired? You know, think about just going to the refrigerator and you open up the milk and you give it the sniff test. Right, or you open up that container of sour cream, <laughs> it'll let you know if it stinks or not. And, and, and we don't need to do an assessment or a 360. I think if we actually spend some time right. alone with ourselves or, or with a good friend, we, we know just listening to you pose that question right. on a scale of 1 to 10, probably exactly where we are on the 1 meaning we've expired, 10 means we are dialed in. Yes. I mean, it really is that simple. Great leaders – are very persistent at seeking out feedback. They want positive and they want negative. And so I'm also looking for that. Have they sought out feedback to ask, hey, is my leadership style expired? So we, now we have to flex. We have to change. Still be you, still be authentic, but we have to find range. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. So once we've identified style needs to be relevant, has to be updated, but now let's stay grounded in principles. The principle that kind of comes to my mind there, and there's a book called The Courageous Follower by a guy named Ira Chalif. The beginning of the book is really outstanding, and then it really goes downhill after that. So I'm not recommending this book necessarily. (laughs) But I like his idea of we've had three decades, and millennials have really had this just pushed upon them, be a leader, be a leader, be a leader, be a leader. Here's what they – well, here's what they're lacking, John. They don't know what it means to be a courageous follower. So West Point spends a lot of time on this. They find that their underclassmen, their freshmen, sophomores at West Point Academy, those that follow best become the best leaders as as upperclassmen. I think step one for this leader that you and I would be coaching is that they need to – leadership skills need to be second. First, we need to mentor and develop and call out of them their ability to follow well. 
So defined by, think about an x-y axis. So on the x-axis is challenge, and on the y-axis is, is support. So they need to support the team, support the leader, support, support the cause well, but they also have to challenge well. And we find they just don't have that skill. They don't know how to follow well. So what would that look like in practice? If I, you know, I have a department and two-thirds of them right now are, are these you know, younger men and women. Uh, yes. What are some things I could be working with them either one-on-one or in my team meetings to, to grow that follower skill? Yeah, I find that, one, just having the, the conversation around it helps of what does followership look like. Covey's group is um, – out of Salt Lake, they're also identifying this. Of for years now, we focus on the traditional bell curve. We focus on that top 15, 20 percent. It's now time to focus on the middle, the middle 60. So, just having the idea of when I say follower to my team of millennials, what do you think about when you hear someone who's a follower? More times than not, they hear mama's boy, they hear weak, um, not a team player lacks direction, lacks motivation, but that's not what we're talking about. So first we have to define what do we mean by being a courageous follower. That's step one. Well, I think you're bringing up an important two point because yeah. if you actually look at the mindset of that generation, yeah. so, some of the most important things to, to this group, which I understand is they want a very collaborative work environment and culture. So, you know, so if you have a team meeting and you can be in the role of almost a facilitator, you're not a person who's espousing a position or doing training. You're actually engaging these folks. Yes. You know, how do they define follower today? You know, if you know kind of the if if you're going to almost manage the process, but not the agenda, so to speak. Right. Right. What's the process to help these guys get some clarity on what it would look like to be an amazing member of this team to support and serve each other. It was interesting. I was giving a, a speech the other day to at a university uh, to the Young Entrepreneurs Club. So these were all 19 to 21-year-old entrepreneurs. And I was just talking about the concept of servant leadership. Mm. And it was ama- what surprised me was the number of questions afterwards in the Q&A part about how could I possibly get ahead if I'm actually helping somebody else get ahead ahead yeah. of me. Yeah. Or if I'm even serving somebody and kind of taking the focus off myself. And, you know, that, that, that surprised me a bit. So anyway, having this collaborative yes. conversation, drawing these guys in, because you know what it gives them something that's also very important to them is ownership. Yes. Well, the model starts to shift. So as the leader changes his leadership style, which is expired, by the way, and that model typically has been I'm the leader and the followers revolve around me. Millennials really respond to a new leadership style, but still based on a principle that the leader and the follower revolve around the cause, around the strategy, around the movement, around this thing that are why. So now sometimes I lead and you follow, and sometimes you lead and I'll follow. Because it's not about either you or I, it's about the cause. It's about the movement, and we can do this dance together. That's a different style based on a principle but now it really allows – if you follow well and I lead well, now this works. Well, you know, a great example of that is uh, you know, the Navy SEALs. You know, this is not some hierarchical, hierarchical that you know, the yeah. skipper's in charge. This is a, yes. a very cooperative environment. You know, there's times where you need to have a leader that actually makes a decision. 
but the way that they operate is how do we always have each other's back? How are we always working in our strengths and equipping and enabling the other people on our team to work in their strengths? How do we put together the best ideas of this group to solve the problem, seize an opportunity, uh, accomplish an objective? And imagine, you know, if you create a culture like that with a right. younger team, the outcomes that I've seen personally, you've probably seen this, are they're, they're extraordinary. It's fun to, it's fun to watch. It, it really is. There's no doubt about that. It, and the, the other part that comes to my mind, John, is in, in this idea of connecting, they have to know where they are. And that's why I like that XY grid. Yeah. So someone who's high support and low challenge is the bobblehead, right? They just say yes all the time. But then they have meetings after the meetings because the leader will say, hey, let's do this. Everybody on board. Man, that's amazing. You're the smartest guy in the room. Leader leaves. Man, what a jerk. That's the dumbest idea. Well, this is, well, I'm, not, I'm out. I'm not going to do it because they don't know how to challenge. Or they go too far on the challenge side and low support, and they just become the jerk. It doesn't matter what the leader says. They say the opposite. Or worst case, I find that whenever they're pushed back, so they'll say, hey, boss, what if we do this? And the boss responds with, I think it's an awful idea. They stop. They quit early. And so to use that grid, it's, hey, pause, time out. We're having this conversation You have this much range on the challenge x-axis, and you stopped me right here. Don't quit on me. Hang in there. So you're talking about in the meeting when you're observing this behavior with one of your people. Right. Actually do this exercise. Here's kind of where you're at. Here's the team we want to build. Here's the kind of level of open conflict we want to be able to have, Uh, the trust that we need to have to have that. if we make an a agreement, if everybody's voiced their opinion, and maybe I don't agree with you, Dean and Sally and Barb, right? But do I trust you enough to be in alignment with that decision? Yes. Because as a group, we've agreed that this is the direction without going out afterwards and gossiping. And I define that as talking to somebody about a situation that's neither part of the problem or the solution. Yes. So uh, you bringing that up? So the two. Elements must be required for every critical, crucial, difficult conversation has to be mutual purpose and mutual respect. One of the best teams I've ever seen this was at a Boeing facility in San Antonio, group of engineers, already just socially awkward with people, right? I mean, just play out that stereotype. But they're pushing materials to their limits. And so life hits the fan for them often. They have to know how to argue or fight well. So they'll come into this room, and John, I mean, it's amazing. They're, they're throwing things, again, at each other. They're pounding the desk. They say it to the level that they feel it. But someone's watching, and they'll say, hey, time out. What's your number? So one is, I'm chill. Ten is, I'm about to hurt somebody. What's your number four? What's your number six? What's your number three? Great, keep going. If anyone's seven or higher, time out, five-minute break, off we go. They know that safety, operations, HR, legal risk, management, those groups are never going to agree. By design, they're not supposed to. (laughs) That's how we come up with a better program. So getting this idea to be a courageous follower, to challenge well, makes the space for a connection. And the millennials, they get fired up for that. It's safe to, uh, to challenge. And what ends up happening is they, they become really great leaders. They do. Because you know what else? You know, you're just 
in that environment too, people can be authentic to who they are. You know, they yes. can portray their own, you know, what's important to them, both inside of work, their goals outside of work, what their values are, you know, having these conversations to connect, you know, if you have a culture that helps uh, not just millennials, but anybody connect who they are, their, you know, their, some of the things that are personally important to them to what right. they're doing at work, why they're even showing up on Monday. It has to be something bigger than a paycheck. Or you're never gonna you're never going to get the best out of your company, your team, you know, and, and anything that's important to measure is not going to be moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think the the focus on millennials, I mean, I think if we were to go back to baby boomers and, and, and gen gen X, leaders are always asking these same questions of how do I connect with the, connect with this next generation? The more time I'm spending in this space, John, I think it still it always comes back to as the leader, you have gotten comfortable in your leadership style, and it stinks. And I really like what you talked about because uh, anybody hearing that, right? Do I really need to change? Do I need to become a different person? No, because what you talked about is this is your leadership style is built on leadership principles. Yes. So you have 95% of it right now. It's locked in. It's working. That can always be improved and refined. But now we're just talking about how you're bringing that out, who you are and what those principles um, that you lead from into the environment that you are now influencing, changing, managing. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, it's a very, it's a very fair statement. So it's not this big hurdle that I have to go to a seminar or a workshop to figure out how to be the leader that millennials would like to follow. No, I mean, I mean, if you, <laughs> I mean that would be a waste of time. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's always. But you can go find one. Steps. There's four easy steps to connecting with. It's never. It's never that easy, but it always comes back to we have to be able to connect. We just have to, and that's the style that's different. You know, I think that, you know, one of my favorite quotes, it's from John Maxwell, is you have to connect before you can pull. And connect talks about, you know, developing relationships, getting to know the people you're working with, working, that are working for you, that you're working for as a follower. Yes. And, and, you know, and what can you do to help move them forward? So, so let's jump in, you know, any final thoughts before we jump into this next question? Well, one, just one last tidbit that I, I, I saw on the internet it's amazing how every answer is on the internet, right? <laughs> but this idea of the millennials, what they tend to do is that they're not following the leader. They're not even emulating the leader. They are emulating the first follower. And Ooh, so interesting. That, that really becomes the person. Once you can get a millennial to become that first follower, that's who everybody else will now emulate. As they see how that person interacts, how that person supports, how that person challenges, that's what they they now emulate the first follower. You know, I like that. That makes me think of I'm you know just looking in a group who's almost the natural leader of that group that's exactly uh, of right. peers and pour your life into that person, help equip that person. That's going to set the tone so for it. I think you and I have a role here. Yeah, it's not who's leading best. Yeah. What this person, what you just described there, is that he is a courageous follower. Yeah. He's following well. I mean, we've, I think we've, I have to watch myself too. We have to take the negative connotations away from being a great follower. I mean, we follow Christ. And I think that's what we struggle, especially as men. I'm supposed to be a leader. I'm supposed to be a leader. How can I follow Christ? We don't follow well. We just don't. 
Well, if everybody's hearing that, I love that you lead by following. Period. And you follow. Yes. And you follow by you follow when you lead. Yes, I mean you have to first be an excellent follower before you'll ever be an excellent leader. And I'm really thinking that that's more true every time I see it happen in front of my face. Mm. Well, I think that's a great thought. So here's the second question. There, there was a number of questions that came in, Dean. Uh, an interesting theme uh, and uh, from a number of different people about I'm in a position where I'm either starting a company, running a company, and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm involved in nonprofit work. And the crux of the question is, uh, how do I keep momentum going as I balance all these different hats I have to wear in my life? Businessman, my spiritual life, husband, father, coach. Uh, I'm just looking at, at one of these, but there's a lot of these are, are very similar. So here we have somebody who's in a leadership role at some phase of the business continuum, but they're really struggling at working in their strengths, just balancing all the th- different things they have to do in their life. So if that was our client and they were sitting here with us, what, what would you do to start with them? Yeah, so I this is probably the core of almost everything I coach, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. So I've had now eight, nine years experience of, of getting better at really distilling this down of what's really at issue. And my first thought always go to, goes to the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, which says – 80% of the results you're currently getting is coming from 20% of the activity you're currently doing. So here's the really, really awful part, which means 80% of what you're doing is only contributing 20% of the results you're looking for. I mean, how disheartening is that? To put in a 10-hour day and to know eight of those hours only contributed 20% of the results. Or less. Or I less. I would argue. Yes. But two of those hours is really what makes the difference. So a story that I heard from this old guy is that there was a boy and a dog in the middle of a lake, and the boat is sinking. Good Samaritan swims out there, saves the dog, the boy drowns. Moral of the story, the Good Samaritan did a good thing, but he didn't do the right thing. And within leaders, entrepreneurs, startups, they're saving a lot of dogs. How do we get focused in, you know, there's a book by uh, Keller, um, Gary Keller. It's called The One Thing. So he's the founder of Keller Williams Realty. Just really hard focus on what he calls the extreme Pareto principle. So if 20% is giving me 80% of my results, what's the 20 of that 20 and what's the 20% of that 20? So what's the one thing that I'm doing that's contributing the majority of the results I'm looking for? So that's the first thing that I'd like to explore with the client in that of how do I keep all this going? The second thing well, – Before just, you go into the second yes. uh, statement, so if somebody's in there listening to this, they're driving their car. Right. What questions would you ask them for them to be thinking about after they're done listening to this? Well, here's the most frustrating part, and Gary Keller talks about that in his book, is that that one thing exists. What's going to drive you nuts is what is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, right? I mean, it's there. It's well, there. There's a book that I uh, I love. I give it to all the clients I'm working with called Essentialism. There you go. And it's very similar. That that is a great book. There's a whole process if you read through that book. But you know, ask yourself what is the most essential thing that you should be doing, yes. not only just right now but today. And then you know what? If you went and look at your calendar and said, I'll guarantee you, 
if you're honest with yourself, 80% of what's in your calendar this week and today has nothing to do with the most essential thing that you need to be focused on right now. John, it's a great point. And we, we tend to do this early in a contract. We will grab their calendar because electronics are beautiful and, and you can go back years and years and years. But everything fits in one of three categories. Time wasters. Typically not many of those. Probably the biggest offender is you're going to meetings you really don't need to be going to. The second largest bucket or the, the, the largest bucket is things that are urgent and important. And what's really screaming for attention is things that make a difference, which means the higher you go up in leadership, the more you're required to have this skill of saying no to things that are really, no kidding, for real, important, so you can say yes to things that make a difference. Now, have you found that when you're coaching with people, just getting clarity on just how to answer that question? What is a framework what is a process for me to be thinking through to say whether it meets that threshold, that criteria, whether this should be something I should be putting my time into, putting on my calendar, right. and why? Yeah, well, John, I think most of us, because we're normal, we like to go to the exception of where this will be difficult. So let's don't even talk about that. Let's just talk about the times where it's obvious. It's just obvious. This is urgent important. And I just don't have the courage to say no to this so I can say yes to something that makes a difference. But what I tell leaders that give me that excuse back or they're trying to explain why it's difficult, if you can't do it, you need to quit. Because level five leaders find a way to say no to things that are really important. It's important and there's going to be consequences. You know what's going to make a difference. You know you need to say, I mean, we know it's why you're in leadership. We know. But are we willing to take these unintended consequences short-term to get the fruit of our labor long-term of things that make a difference? Have to get better at it. It never gets easier. It always will feel nauseating. But if you can't do it, you got to quit because leadership is too important for, you, for us to be waiting for you to make a difference when you're consumed with doing things that are really important. Well, you know, I love that answer. And, you know, as a coach, I'm always listening for and looking for what's the reason behind the reason? What's the, right. what's the true question behind the question? So yes. you know, if somebody asked you, you know, how do I keep momentum going as I try to balance all these different hats? Yes. Uh, you know, so, I, I, I'd love to have this person here and actually dig into this. But <laughs> that aside, yes. what do you think the true, maybe the core issue is, some of the, the core questions that are behind that? This is some research that just came out May 19th of this year by a guy named Marshall Goldsmith. Yeah. Love reading his stuff. Professor at Dartmouth has his own, his own coaching firm. And it comes down to we have to have a score. This is for anybody, but I think just probably, it really resonates with men. I have to have a daily question that I can see visually this gap between what I call my dreamer I'm so excited in the morning of all the things I'm going to get done today versus my doer that really, really is pathetic. <laughs> Who just, my, my dreamer, my doer don't get along with each other. My doer is the guy that writes the tasks and checks off the boxes continually. Yeah, like I'm so excited of how productive I'm going to be today. I'm going to eat healthy today. I'm going to make good decisions of not doing important and doing things that make a difference. I mean, I actually feel better right now even thinking about how great I'm going to be. 
but then I have to go do that. And so what Marshall Goldsmith's research came back to, we have our list, but you have to add these words to your list. Did I do my best today to be patient? One's low, ten's high. Did I do my best today to set clear goals? Did I do my best today to do the things that make a difference? Did I do my best today to say or do something kind to my wife? That's a brutal, I've been doing this three weeks now, and I hate it. I hate it. And I want to stop. But I can't because it wouldn't make me a good coach to anybody else. But there's this gap between I've listed these things that are really important. Me as a, as a business owner, me as a leader, me as a father, right? I made my list. And now to ask myself, Dean Miles, did you do your best today? John, it's brutal to identify something that's really important and to give yourself a three or a four in effort. You know, as I hear you talking, and I think this is such a great process. So let's go back to that question from before. What it, what matters most? What's most essential? However you want to yes. ask it to yourself. And it could be your marriage. Yes. Could be as a father. Yep. Could be your prayer time. We know all the right answers. Right. Could be my spiritual growth. It could <laughs> yes. be, you know, maybe I have a, like we talked about before, I have a team that's just not working well together. Maybe one yes. of the most essential things that's just front of mind for me is actually how do I actually develop relationships and work on this team to create followership, leadership, whatever it happens to be. But let's just, I, I don't think people can work with more than, you know, three, three to five concrete max. five max. I like three. I like uh, three. You know, I was a pilot, so, you know, the smaller the number, the easier for me to work with. But, <laughs> um, you know, but sit down at night. And do that. Examine how you did during the day. I've also found that that is incredibly... Did I do my best today? It's brutal because you may have really knocked it out of the park. Did I do my best to to connect with the millennial? Did I do my best to have conversations around followership today? Let's say you get an eight or a nine. Here's what's really brutal. Is that tomorrow you start with a zero? Ah! Killer. But I find most of us score ourselves over the course of week or weeks. Yeah, I think, you know, I, this was a good week. What that means is you maybe had a nine moment, but the rest of that week were twos and threes. And so if behavior is perfectly aligned with results, your results aren't even near what they could be if you did eights and nines every single day. And just think it's most important. Yeah, and I think, I think one of the most powerful things that can come out of this, it sounds fairly simple though you know we've all heard the term you get what you focus on that's it but it's but it's actually now now but what you're talking about is taking this we talked about this actually before we started recording most people and this is what got you into coaching if they just did what they knew they needed to do and they did it consistently and diligently the results they would have in their life would be phenomenal but it's just our human nature that we don't do that yeah dupont calls it so dupont has done many many studies in the manufacturing arena And they call it discretionary effort. So most of us can do that thing that we're naturally good at. Just 60, 70% of our effort. And we're average or slightly above average. That sounds good to me, right? But what if you focus on that right thing and gave discretionary effort to? DuPont's research says you can take that given metric and jump it by 30 to 40%. That's significant. 
So think about the impact that is that will have on your wife, on your family, on your prayer time, on your being able to hear the voice of God and the Holy Spirit, on your team that you're not connected with. What does a 30 to 40% jump look like in reducing your operation costs, reducing your turnover, improving your safety record? These are significant numbers. But you have to ask yourself every single day. And Marshall says, if you have consistently consistently going two, three, fours, you now are in timeout, and you have to do it twice a day. So at lunchtime, did I do my best this morning? And now did I do my best this afternoon? If you continue to get two, threes, and fours for this thing that you've already identified is really important, now you go to hourly. So from 9 to 10 a.m., did I do my best? From 10 to 11, did I do my best? And you work your way back up to morning, afternoon. And once you have that, you work your way back up to daily. Because to go through a day of which we're not thinking about tomorrow, we're thinking about today. To go through today and to give a three, four, five effort and the thing that you've identified of what's most important, that's sad. Which is why I want to stop doing this. <laughs> <laughs> you had a, have you had some hourly days, Dean? I, I have, I, you know, I may be going down to half hour increments. It's really, really brutal because I will excuse my bad behavior of, well, you don't understand because this happened and this happened and it's a special day. And well, at least I'm not as bad as John. Right. Well, it, it's, it's not, you know, I don't raise the bar very hard, Dean. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But that's what I find helps with momentum is making progress, right? All kinds of research on that. The number one motivator is making progress. I have to be able to see my score. We turn on the TV. It's in the eighth inning. What do we do? What's the first thing we look at? Score. What's the score? And if our team is down by five points, I turn it off. Exactly. So what, we, we, right. You know, and you know, I think a lot of times, too, is if we're not, you know, if we turn that spotlight on ourselves and I feel like I'm just losing this battle, even though I've identified this as something essential, you know, our tendency is to say, you know what, the, the, this is the too hard light is flashing. Yes. So I'm just going to focus on everything else and just hope that this doesn't bite me in the back end. Right. Hope for the pixie dust and wish yeah. upon a star. And when, when that happens, you're never going to break out into being a level five leader. You're never going to break out into somebody that takes those leadership principles that you've, that everybody listening who's in the leadership roles clearly has an understanding in applying it away in that style and in people's lives, um, in building those relationships in a way that is going to move the needle. In the yes. either, you know, whatever your your uh, vision, purpose, mission, calling, um, you know, as people work to have clarity on that, that could be a whole nother podcast. Uh, and yes. it has been actually multiple yes. times, <laughs> right? But let's just say you had clarity on that. You're starting from that point that you know the direction that you want to be going in. Yes. And it's all these little incremental pieces that sometimes don't seem very significant, but as you do them daily, it's like geometric boat growth. All of a sudden, you look back a year from now and go, I cannot believe what yes. the last year – I never thought I'd get here. Now, what do you think the next year looks like? Now you're in a place two years from now that right. best case scenario in the past, maybe you were there in five or ten years. It's really about accelerating – these results, it's about who you are as a person, who you're being, not what you're I, – I think it's more important to, about who you're being than what you're doing in, in, a, lot of, in a lot of respects. It's your, yeah, the geometric progression. So Gary Keller talks about that in his book. He was working with a physicist, 
physicists are interesting individuals of what of what makes them tick and gets them excited. The idea was you take a two a two inch domino. How much larger can the second domino be, and have enough energy transferred to topple the next domino? And how much bigger can the third domino be? And they found it be each domino could be one and a half times larger than the previous. So if you continue that out, you start with a, a one inch or two inch domino. So asterisk here, I don't have my data in front of me, but it's like the seventh domino would be the size, or the 14th domino would be the size of the Eiffel Tower. The 23rd domino would hover over Mount Everest. The 31st domino would be the distance between the Earth and the moon, some 240,000 miles. And a one-inch domino would knock the whole thing down. Yeah, and so there's some YouTube videos on there. If you do domino geometric progression, there's a guy, he starts with a two-centimeter centimeter piece of balsa wood, topples that, and he ends up knocking over this like 40-foot massive thing. So yeah, the attention to that detail, that small thing, and doing your best today, and then you do it again tomorrow, and you do it again tomorrow. I think it's Vince Lombardi that said, has the quote that the team that that blocks and tackles best wins. Well, Dean, this has just been a great conversation. I love your heart. Um, I love how you coach. You know, just as we wrap up here, just any final thoughts you'd like to leave with people as they've just listened in on this conversation? Well, one, I mean, it says a lot about the leaders that that are listening to podcasts. I mean, they're seeking out information. Um, They're curious. And I think that's a great question to have as part of your daily questions of, did I do my best today to learn or to be curious? Leadership matters, um, and it requires your best effort. And I, with all seriousness, if you don't have that in you, quit. So if somebody's heard anything they like, uh, actually, let me restate that. You know, if people listen to you, Dean, and they'd like to get in touch with you or find out more about what uh, Bridgepoint is doing, um, how do they do that? Yeah, so we're, our website is bridgepointcsg, so coaching strategy group, csg.com. Um, and then from there, they can find email addresses and et cetera. Dean, thank you so much for your time. This was this was a, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I know we're going to get great feedback from the folks. So uh, just thank you again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. If you'd like more information about John and Dean's coaching practices or schedule a complimentary, no obligation, one hour of coaching with John, just go to eternalleadership.com slash 069. That's eternalleadership.com slash 069. If you have a question that you'd like answered on Coach's Corner, just go to eternalleadership.com slash coach. That's eternalleadership.com slash coach. And there you can submit a question for John and his coaching guests to answer. Thanks to everyone that's given us feedback this summer. We love hearing your stories, what you like, what you don't like, and any guest suggestions that you could have. So you can contact us through Facebook, facebook.com slash eternal leadership, through Twitter at eternal leaders and at John Ramstead. Join our private LinkedIn group or email us, john at eternalleadership.com and steve at eternalleadership.com. Thanks in advance. Like I said, we love hearing from you. We love hearing your stories and joining you in prayer. Next time on Eternal Leadership, the host of Relaunch, Joel Bogus. To make any relaunch successful in your life, in any different area, you got to have relaunch relationships. You got to have shoulders that you can stand upon. And also people that will link arms with you. That's one R. Second R, resources. You know, you want to surround yourself with, you know, 
solid podcasts, you know, good video training, uh, good books. You, you want to surround yourself with, with the best resources. What's the third R for your relaunch? Be sure to check it out as Joel shares lessons he's learned from countless people that have had some sort of relaunch in their life. For John Ramstead, I'm Steve Ryder, and thank you for listening to Eternal Leadership. Eternal Leadership.